this week on Hope for the Broken. Jesus gave women dignity. And in a culture that oppressed women, Jesus gave women value. The gospel elevates the value of women. And listen, here's the key. It's from this new elevation of value that women have the freedom to submit to their husband's leadership. Wives, when you play your role, it is out of one of freedom and dignity. And we need to reclaim that from our culture. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our sermon series called A Biblical Family in a Modern World. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part four titled a wife's role. Listen, we're in the middle of a teaching series that we're calling a biblical family in a modern world. You know, we live in a world that uh, tends to look at a biblically designed family and to to do so with disgust. But it is vitally important, uh, not only for our own families, but for the advancement of society that we choose to say, no, we're going to align our lives in accordance to the scriptures. And so that's what this study is all about, is we're looking at God's design, God's plan for marriage and the family. In week one, we took a look at how marriage was God's idea. And because he's the designer of marriage, then he alone gets to define what marriage is. And then we took a look at week two about how to build a godly home, that it's possible to build a house and never build a home, and that we desire to be a people that build biblical homes. And then last week, we began a two-part section to this study uh, where we looked at uh, his and hers. We looked at his role in the marriage relationship. Today, we turn to part two of that and look at the wife's role in the marriage relationship. So some of you are guests. You're guests because your husband brought you today, all right? So that you, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but here's what I would say. If you have missed any part of this teaching series, I want to encourage you to go online and to to get caught up because each message builds upon itself. And there's two two places uh, that you can go to to get caught up. You go to our website, trinitytx.org slash sermons, and you can get caught up. Or you can listen to our podcast, which we have called Hope for the Broken. And you can listen to that podcast on any platform that you listen to podcasts on, but you can get caught up there because today's message, the wife's role, is best understood within the context of the husband's role. And so I want to encourage you to go back and listen if you've missed any part of it. And let me just say again, I've said this already, but let me just say it again. I am not a marriage and family expert. Far from it. You can ask Kathy about that, right? And you will get an honest answer. I'm far from it. But I am reading uh, and I'm studying those that are Christian family experts, marriage and family experts. And, and 
I'm, I'm leaning on their material a lot here, and it would be cumbersome for me to, to cite every single thing as I deliver this message. We'll be here until next week. Uh, but what I have done is in my notes, I have footnoted where uh, I'm getting this information. And so I, I want to encourage you on our website again, where you find the sermons, you can actually download my notes each and every week. And I have end notes there where you can find uh, this information that, that I'm get, gathering. And that may be helpful to you in further research on your own and reading on your own. But you know, one of the things that has seemed to go by the wayside for the most part in a post-pandemic world is buffets. Anybody still eat at buffets, right? Some of you brave souls go to buffets where people breathe and they cough and they sneeze on food. And uh, But buffets, I, I, and by the way, I don't know that I've been to one uh, since the pandemic, uh, but, but buffets used to be awesome for me to go to because you could really load up on the things that you liked, right? You could eat all you wanted on the things that you liked, and you could ignore the things that you don't like, right? Like the broccoli. I mean, why did they even put that on a buffet line? Like, there's no amount of cheese that could cover the nastiness of broccoli, right? And, and so what we do in buffets is we have this tendency, well, I really like this. I'm going to load up on this, and I really don't like that, and so I'm going to ignore that. And the reason why I bring that up today is because a lot of times that's our approach to the, to the Bible, you know, there are things in the Bible that we say yes and amen to, but there are also things in the Bible that cause us to say, ouch, wait a minute. And we have this tendency to say, oh man, we love it when the pastor preaches on grace and forgiveness and mercy. We want to load up on more of that. But then when it comes to things like, I don't know, like uh, giving or the wife's role of submission in a marriage relationship, we have this tendency to say, well, that's broccoli. I don't care for much of that. But here's, here's the thing that I would tell you, church family. Listen, we believe God's word to be God's word. The Bible is God's word. And, and therefore, it is a benefit to us to study and to embrace and to align our lives around the whole counsel of God. And so that's what we're going to do today. Maybe this is not a, a sermon that you're just so excited to hear, and, but, but it's so vitally important. As we seek to be a people that align our lives to God's word, we do so knowing it is for our good and it is for our flourishing. And, and I, hope, I hope you know and understand. And by the way, this is talking about a wife's role as a man in the pulpit is kind of, I, I get it. That's like, seems strange and it's challenging to me, but here's what I would have you know about me. It is my desire to rightly handle God's word. And, and that's the desire of anybody that stands in this pulpit is to just correctly handle God's word, leaning upon it as the ultimate authority and truth in our lives. And so that's my aim today. My aim today is to preach it as I believe God intends it. And I believe that if we wrap our minds around the correct teaching of the wife's role in marriage, we'll actually find freedom and contentment in our families. I think that that's God's design. So that's my aim. And so with that said, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Last week we were in Ephesians 5. We looked at the husband's role in the marriage relationship. Today we're in Ephesians 5 as Paul addresses the wife's role in the marriage relationship. We're going to be in verses 21 through 24 and then skip past the men since we studied that last week and look at 32 and 33. So I want to read that passage together and then begin to pull truths 
from it. And so you follow along in your copy of God's Word, beginning in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now skip down to verse 32. This mystery is profound. And talking about the marriage relationship is profound. And I'm saying that it is profound as it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul is writing to Christian believers, seeking to align their lives to Christ. And he is saying that in a Christian marriage, the husband's role is that of headship and love, and the wife's role is of submission and to her husband's leadership. And this is done out of a mutual submission, Paul says in verse 21, to the Lord. Now, like I mentioned last week, this section of Scripture is perhaps the most misunderstood and often misquoted uh, passages of the Scripture. And so what I want to do today is I want to approach it in two ways. I want to talk about what biblical submission is not, and then I want to talk about what bib- biblical submission is. And I'm hoping that by looking at what it is not to clear up some of the misconceptions of our society, as we look at what it is to better understand, wives, your role in the marriage relationship. So let's begin by first looking at what submission is not. Four things that are often taken out of context by society and ascribed to submission. So first, submission is not inferiority. In in no way, shape, or form is biblical submission referencing inferiority. In fact, it's very clear in the scriptures that all of humanity, every human, has an intrinsic value. And it's, they have that value because only humans and all of God's creation, only humans bear the very image of God. And God said, male and female, he has created them with this image of himself. And so therefore, men and women bear the image of God and, and as a result, have a very high intrinsic value. It's also, this very idea, the, the image of God, the Imago Dei is the theological terminology there, that drives us to defend all life, to protect all life from the womb to the tomb, right? And it's because there's so much value in humanity, and humanity is the only one that, that bears such that. As a result, because that is true, you cannot take any other teaching in the context of the scriptures out from that truth. And so because that's true, the teaching on submission in accordance with the Scripture cannot mean value. In the Christian marriage, men and women have differing roles, but those roles are not more valuable than the other. They're equal. And the value is equal. The roles are different. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Today kicks off the 2023 NFL football season. And tonight... Uh, the Dallas Cowboys take on the New York football giants. And by the way, college football is way better than professional football for many reasons. Uh, but I am excited about watching the Cowboys uh, tonight. My group ends at 7. We will dismiss at 6.55, right, so that I can make it home uh, on time. But when you think about uh, a football team, the quarterback is the general on the field, 
right? Like he's the leader on the field. He's the one that's relaying the play call to the team. He's executing the play. But the quarterback doesn't work alone. The quarterback is very dependent upon the offensive line. And the receivers are very dependent upon the quarterback in order to get the ball in the right place in the right location, right? So there's, even though the quarterback's the leader, it doesn't mean that his role is more valuable than any others. Because if there's no offensive line, what happens? The quarterback doesn't get to do his, his job. And the receivers don't benefit from the quarterback doing his job. The same is true in marriage. For marriage to work properly, each person's got to do their job, got to play their role. But it's each position is equally important, right? So the first thing we come to know, submission is not inferiority. Secondly, submission is not oppression. Our culture bristles at the biblical teaching of submission, of a wife submitting to her husband. And that's because culture has equated submission with oppression. But they're actually two totally different concepts, two totally different things. Because in no way, shape, or form does the Bible ever condone oppression. The biblical charge to submit does not mean that wives are subservient or that they are to be controlled. That is not what Paul is teaching here. All right, so a couple of us from staff got together, and we worked on a couple of definitions. The first definition that we worked on to provide clarity here was the word oppression. What, what, would, what, would, what is oppression? What does it mean? And, and we wanted to come up with a definition that helps provide clarity here. We defined oppression as an outward decision made by someone else identifying themselves as superior over you. An outward decision made by someone else identifying themselves as superior over you. Let me give you a biblical example of what oppression is. In the close of Genesis, we had read about how uh, there was famine in the land. And Joseph, a crazy story that Joseph is, he had risen to second in command and had made provisions for a famine that was striking the land. And he had gathered enough supplies so as to feed not only all of Egypt, but even neighboring countries. And and word got out about that. And so many of the Jews traveled to Egypt in order to find resources for their family. And they wound up staying there, not only through the famine, but even after the famine. Well, after Joseph died, a king came to power in Egypt and made the Jews slaves. And and Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 11, we see a picture of what oppression is. Let's read it together. Verse 11. Therefore, they, being the Egyptian leaders, set taskmasters over the Jews to afflict them with heavy burdens. You see how that's an outward decision? The Jews were not a part of this decision. It's an outward decision made by someone else, the Egyptian leaders. And so they, the Jews, built for Pharaoh store cities in Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, there's the word oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they, the Egyptian leaders, ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. You understand, this is not submission. This is oppression. And submission is not oppression. There's a big difference. 
We're going to come back to that in just a moment. So submission is not inferiority. It's not oppression. Thirdly, submission is not universal. It's not universal. What do I mean by that? Well, I think many have this picture in their mind that the Bible somehow paints women as uh, inferior to men in general, in all of society. And, and, and they think that the Bible supports that, but that is not the case. Look back at our text, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to who? Your own husbands, as to the Lord. The wife's role of submission is to her husband and her husband only. Paul is not teaching that all women should be subject to all men. Remember the context. It's vitally important. It's the Christian marriage. Let me give you a biblical example of, of the role of women in society. In Proverbs chapter 31, we see what biblical womanhood results in, what women uh, should be in our society. It's, it's almost like the model biblical woman in Proverbs 31. This is when you read that. And by the way, I'm not going to read it. I want you to read it this week. But what you're going to see there is several things. This lady was an entrepreneur. She was wheeling and dealing in the marketplace. She provided food for her family. She was creative. She was into fashion. She dressed her husband and children well. She was compassionate towards the poor. She was wise and well-respected in the community and received praise from her husband and children. In other words, the biblical woman is a woman that is very successful. And in today's terms, she, this woman would have been a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Now, ladies, you might find this example to be inspiring, or you may feel it's impossible to measure up to, but the point is this, that you should feel freedom to be that all that God is calling you to be. Submission is not universal. You do not submit to all men, but in marriage. It is God's design that you submit to your husband and that you do so in everything. Right, so submission is not inferiority, it's not oppression, nor is it universal. Fourthly, submission is not demanded. Submission is commanded, but it should not be demanded. Look again at verse 22 of Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is not saying that husbands are the Lord of their wives. It does mean, though, Wives, when you play your role, when you submit to your husband, you glorify God, who is the Lord. Remember the word that Paul is using. He's using the word submit. He is not using the word obey. Obedience is something that is demanded. Submission is not demanded. Now later, Paul will use that word obey. In chapter 6, the opening part of chapter 6, and we're going to get there. When he says children obey your parents. That is, a, that is a demand. But submission is not a demand. It's not something that is demanded like obedience is demanded. And fellows, we should not wield this passion, passage of Scripture as some sort of sword at our wives. You should not say, you better submit to me, woman. The Bible tells you to do that. Let me just tell you something. Fellas, just word to the wise here. You say that, it will not go well with you. I promise. It will not go well with you. But if you are a man worthy of respect, 
who lead your family like Christ leads the church, it will be far more easier for her to follow your lead and to submit to your leadership and to play her role. And let me just say something to husbands for just a moment. If the teaching of submission excites you, that is probably a red flag that you need to recognize to say, I need to do a little work on my heart. Because here's the thing. Headship, leadership, spiritual leadership in, in our families, that's an awesome task. That's an overwhelming task. And it requires humility. Christ loved the church in a way in which he sacrificed for her. And so therefore, we must sacrifice. We must be humble servant leaders in our families. So we talked about what submission is not. Now let's look at what submission is. Second part of our, our talk here today. What submission is. And I hope by clearing up the misconceptions, it can get that cloud in our heads out of the way so that we can really press into what Paul is teaching. First, submission is personal. Submission is personal. What do I mean by that? Well, I've already talked about how submission is to be to your husband only, right? And in that way, it's personal. But submission is personal in that it is a conscious decision you wives must make. It's a conscious decision that you make. The word submit in the original language it was written in here in the Bible was a military term. And it means to place oneself under. It is also written in middle voice. In English, we primarily deal with two voices, active and passive voice. But in the Greek, again, the Greek is superior to English as far as a language is concerned. There is middle voice. And so what does this middle voice mean? Well, submit in middle voice means that it is something that you wives determine to do yourselves. Now, Paul is clear in verse 24 that wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. That word everything is a Greek word that means everything, right? And so you are to submit to your wife. That's the structure. But listen, listen, it's a choice that you have to make. It's a choice that you have to make. Let's look, let's go back to the definition of oppression and let's stack it up to our definition of submission and to see if you could see the difference here. Oppression is an outward decision made by someone else identifying themselves as superior over you. Submission, however, is an inward decision made by you identifying your husband as the spiritual leader of your home. Do you see how oppression and submission are actually opposites? They're, they're opposites in, in definition. So submission is personal. It's an inward decision, wives, that you must make. Secondly, submission is following Jesus. Following Jesus. When wives choose to submit to their husbands in everything, they follow Jesus' example. One of the richest yet most challenging doctrines of our faith is the doctrine of the Trinity. We sang about it here just a little bit ago. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit, three persons, three distinct persons, yet in one unifying God, all co-equal, all co-eternal. So Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, God the Father is God. 
We have a tendency to look at things like, well, God the Father's varsity, God the Son's JV, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, it's freshman team. No, that's not the way it is. They're all equal. One God. Now, when Jesus was incarnate, that means when he took on flesh, you think carne asada, right? Flesh. Jesus was incarnate. Right? He took on flesh. That means that he was God in the flesh. Now, when Jesus took on flesh and he became Emmanuel, God with us, it, it, he submitted his will to the Father. And we see examples of this throughout the Scripture. The Garden of Gethsemane is a perfect example of Jesus, God the Son, surrendering his will to God the Father. If it's possible, Lord, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. But then there's also another way that we read about how Jesus submitted to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 27 to 28 says, For God the Father has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son, Jesus, himself will also be subjected to him, to God the Father, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So Jesus, the principle is Jesus submitted to the Father. Ladies, when you submit to your husbands as to the Lord, you are following Jesus' example. Jesus said it for you. Just like Jesus is the model for husbands to love their wives, Jesus is the model for wives to submit to their husbands. That's vitally important to understand. Now, let me just say this. Ladies, if you're finding it hard to submit to your husband's lead, that is a heart issue that I am asking you to deal with. Because it's not something that can be demanded. It's something you've got to wrestle with. And, and, and I also noticed that it could be that the reason that you have trouble submitting to your husband is because you've been abused by another man at some point in your life. And it's just hard for you. You're protecting yourself from that. And can I just say, abuse in any form is never condoned by the Scriptures. And you need to get out and you need to get help. And if you're here today and you say, well, Pastor Chris, how do I get help? You come see me. And you tell me in confidence, and I can point you to where you can get help. We have resources available that we can point you in that direction. But wives, if you're finding it hard to submit to your husband's lead, you've got to deal with that in your heart. Okay? So submission is personal. It follows Jesus' example. Thirdly, submission is dignified. Our culture has hijacked God's word yet again and has labeled it as degrading to women. But wives submitting to their husbands is far from degrading. It's actually dignifying. The culture in which Paul was writing to was Roman and Jews. And in both the Roman culture and the Jewish culture, they had a very low view of women. And Christianity comes on the scene. Jesus comes on the scene. The gospel begins to preach. And all of a sudden, they're brought significant change in status of women. The gospel elevates the value of women in a culture that sought to degrade them and keep them oppressed. 
Paul even wrote in another book, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither, neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And listen, when Paul wrote that, that kind of equality flew in the face of Greek culture, of Roman culture. See, in the first century world, women were viewed as inferior. They were minimally educated. Their testimony was considered invalid in the court of law. Women could not own property. They were kept from public life. They were not even included in population census data. Men were instructed to not talk much with a woman, which is why when Jesus was engaged in a conversation with the woman at the well, as the disciples were off, when they came up seeing him talking to a woman, they were shocked. Why? You just didn't do it. Yes, it was a Samaritan, but it was a woman. You don't do that. But Jesus gave women dignity. And in a culture that oppressed women, Jesus gave women value. You know, it was a woman who first proclaimed that the tomb was empty. Mary Magdalene. Go, tell Peter and the guys. The gospel elevates the value of women. And listen, listen, here's, here's the key. It's from this new elevation of value that women have the freedom to submit to their husband's leadership. This has nothing to do with value or degrading. It has everything to do with dignity. Wives, when you play your role, it is out of one of freedom and dignity. And we need to reclaim that from our culture. Right? So submission is personal, following Jesus' example and dignified. Finally, uh, submission is purposeful. Look again at two verses, verse 23 and then verses 32. Two purposes. First, verse 23 for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. The first purpose of a wife's submission is that it enables her husband to lead. Ladies, it could be that your husband is not being the leader of your home because you're not letting him be. And that needs to change. Men, it could be that your wives aren't submitting because you're not leading. And that needs to change. Husbands are to lead, and wives are to follow their lead, and their family benefits when you do that. But listen, ladies, when you let your man lead, you encourage him. And men that are encouraged often rise to the challenge. Let your man lead and see what God does in his heart. Submission is also purposeful in that it illustrates Jesus in the church. You know, Jesus calls the church his bride. The Bible uses this analogy of, of marriage to describe Christ's involvement with us. It's, it's a picture of that. And in verse 32, Paul says this, this mystery, this, this idea of marriage is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Jesus is the head of the church, and we all submit to his leadership. But when we play our roles, we also communicate with the world who Jesus is because we have surrendered our lives to him. Then verse 33 sums up this whole two talks, his role, her role, 
And it says this, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There it is with clarity, our roles. So in the limited amount of time that I have left, because we want to get to other things in our service here today, I want to show you some cycles of the roles in marriage. I'm borrowing this from Emerson Egrich's book called Love and Respect. It's a great book. If you're looking for a marriage resource, it is probably the top one that I would recommend. Not only is it biblically rooted, it is very practical in nature and how these roles play themselves out. But I want to talk to you about the three cycles that he makes mention in his book. The first cycle, which is the model cycle, in a marriage relationship is called the rewarded cycle. The rewarded cycle. This is where husbands love their wives and they love their wives regardless of the respect that their wives show to them. This is an unconditional love of their wives. But also in the rewarded cycle, wives respect their husbands regardless of the level of love by which the husbands show the wives. This is both a mutual surrendering of each other under the lordship of Christ. And when we do this, this design portrays a very beautiful dance for the world to see what marriage is supposed to be. But we often, according to Dr. Egerich, we often fall into what is called the crazy cycle. Any, anybody in marriage ever been in the crazy, Right? Maybe, you, maybe you're there now. You say, Pastor Chris, I'm in the crazy, right? You're going to identify this. The crazy cycle is that without love, the wife reacts without respect. And without respect, the husband reacts without love. As you can see, this is a very dangerous cycle. That when it's continued and nothing is done to, to change it, it will spiral out of control. And it will do so in a hurry. So then the question becomes, well, how do we get back to the rewarded cycle? Well, you've got to create a third cycle. And that, he calls, is the energizing cycle. The energizing cycle is what re-energizes your marriage. And it helps you fall back into the roles that you are to play. It's where the husband's unconditional love for his wife motivates her respect of him. And it's also where the wife's respect motivates her husband's love for her. To get into the energizing cycle, it takes someone in the marriage to say, you know what, I'm going to start playing my role. And here's what I would say. Fellas, be the initiator of that. If you're in the crazy cycle, call it out. Say, babe, listen, we're in the crazy cycle, and this is not going well. And I make a commitment at this point to start loving you unconditionally like Christ loved the church. And boy, you love her, and you love her, and you love her, and you love her. And she may not immediately start respecting you, but I would say the majority of the time, if you genuinely play your role of love, she'll come around. Ladies, you too can take initiative here. Honey, we're in the crazy. We've got to get to the re-energizing. And so I'm going to follow your leadership here. I'm going to respect you. And you respect him, and you respect him, and you respect him. And Scripture says, ultimately, you could win him over. 
again. Listen, if you find yourself in the crazy, let's create a new cycle today. Let's start playing our role and see what God does. Now, I have very practical ways that you play your role, and I'm going to save that for another sermon because we're running out of time. But here's what I want to do. I just want to reiterate the fact that wives are to respect your husband, submit to his leadership and everything. Men, let's be leaders worthy of respect. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 930 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.